Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Jonathan, and I get to be a pastor here at Journey. And it is such a blessing to be able to gather together with you this morning. But we have a tall order, uh, a big task to accomplish, and that is to be present to the Holy Spirit, which is always with us. Uh, but when we gather together, we have hopefully less distractions, uh, less things that might divert our attention away from the kingdom of God. And uh, as we seek to be present here with one another, uh, the Spirit forms and shapes and molds us into God's image uh, for the sake of the world. And so my prayer for us today is that we would be fully present here and now. Before we get into the sermon, I have a confession to make. Uh, Paul, in Romans chapter 7, said a little bit more eloquently than this, but here's a paraphrase of what he said. He said, I know what I should do, but I don't do it. And a lot of times I do the things that I know that I shouldn't do. Anybody ever, ever identify with that? Um, we have a little prayer book um, here at Journey. We're going to get ready to update it and, and send out a new one um, in the next couple of weeks. But in that prayer book, there's a prayer that we pray, um, and the author of this prayer, his name is Richard Foster. And I feel like that this sentence often captures our human experience very well. It begins by saying, I am a jumbled mass of motives. You ever felt that way? Being a jumbled mass of motives? You like something and then you don't like it. You want something and then you no longer want it. You want to do something and you do it and you wish you hadn't. You don't want to do something and you do it and you wish you hadn't. We are jumbled mass of motives. So uh, I have an affection deep down within me for uh, dogs. And uh, I, have, I grew up with dogs. Um, I love them. I love to see them and look at them. Um, but my family is not necessarily a dog family. And so our dog that we had passed away, and I said to my family, we are not going to get another dog, right? Um, I did not want the burden to be the sole caretaker of the dog, which I previously was, and that's not a knock on anybody. That's just the reality of our situation. And uh, I just was not interested in us subjecting me to uh, another dog. But my children who I have so much struggle saying no to, have been asking for a dog. And my wife, Kelly, started asking for a dog, which she previously had not done. And then we had some people who I thought were our friends. <laughs> they conspired together with my children and my wife. And now we are the owners of this little guy right here, his name is Louie. He is the newest member of our family, and uh, he is as cute as he looks. 
Uh, he has been a wonderful dog and um, has actually helped me to be a little bit more disciplined as I've tried to get him for take him for walks and get up he gets up early and I like to get up early so it has been a, a good thing but um, if you see us covered in dog hair next time you'll know that we have gone back into the dog fold uh, and maybe sometime you'll get to meet uh, little Louie and get all of his puppy kisses he doesn't he might not look like it but he is actually only eight months old so he's still uh, still a puppy and um, so far he has not chewed my socks so that's a good a good thing. As we transition into the sermon, I wonder if you would pray this prayer with me. Prepare our hearts, O God, to accept your word. Silence in us any voice but your own, that in hearing we may also obey your will. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. If you were to go home today and began reading the Bible at Genesis 1, you would very soon recognize that God's main desire from the very beginning is to be in relationship, in covenant with people and with the world in which God created This is God's main desire. This is what creation exists for. This is what you and I exist for, to live in harmony, in harmony with God, in harmony with ourselves, in harmony with one another, and in harmony with the world that we live in. God desires to bless us with his presence. And the sign of A person who is aware of God's presence is that their life begins to bear fruit. Now, every life bears fruit, right? Uh, But those who recognize the blessing of God by the power of the Holy Spirit began little by little to uh, have the fruits that uh, lead us into difficulties and strife between God, between ourselves, between uh, one another, between creation, those fruits we display less and less. And in place of those fruits, we are filled with what the Bible talks about as the fruit of the Spirit, which is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. So these things began to fill our lives. A life that is filled with the fruits of the Spirit captures the fullest life possible. The issue, though, is that God moves slowly. Right? God moves slowly. And we often become impatient and want to take and make for ourselves what God desires to give us and form within us. A principle of the kingdom of heaven that confronts brokenness is that nothing can be earned in the kingdom of God. 
You cannot earn your place in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, money is worthless. You cannot achieve your way into God's blessing. And the reason why this puts us at odds uh, is because in our world, everything that we get has to be earned. Even one's worth has to be earned. According to the kingdom of God, one's worth is not something they achieved. It is something that is given to them, ascribed to them upon their creation. Every human being, regardless of what they have contributed or where they were born or to whom they were born, regardless of what they have done or what they have not done, has an intrinsic worth. This is one of the tenets that makes the kingdom of God distinct from the kingdom of brokenness. Because in the kingdom of brokenness, there is a lie that pervades our thoughts. That lie is that we should take and keep and protect and hold on to everything because there is not enough to go around. And because of this lie, we end up building walls between us and our neighbors. We end up labeling enemies, all in the name of trying to keep and protect what we have. And the reason why we fall into this trap at least the reason that I think often, is that because we lack the trust in God and what God teaches us about life and what God desires to uh, lead us into. And we also lack imagination. We can't see through what currently is in order to be able to imagine a world where you don't have to fight, you don't have to strive, you can just simply live and live in the presence of God. In the kingdom of God, there is no need for greed. There is no need for fear because there is an abundance and everyone will receive all that there is in the kingdom. And again, we oftentimes lack the imagination to trust this, but it's important for us to at least try and live our lives as if this is true, because it changes the way that we operate in life. And it changes the way that we interact with God if we don't feel like we have to earn God's blessing, that God has freely given it to us, then we receive that blessing and we're not trying to put on any sort of show. It changes the way we view ourselves. Right? That whole jumbled mass of motives thing. It changes the way we interact with ourselves. It changes the way we interact with one another because we don't have to earn or manipulate anyone or control anyone 
else. It changes the way that we live in creation. You know what's interesting about this idea of keeping and holding tight to and protecting what we have and protecting ourselves is that it creates often a byproduct of fear. Fear that we might lose it all, fear that it might be stolen, fear that someone else might have more or better than we have. You know, we are uh, coming up on an election season, and uh, what I think is so interesting is that uh, the narrative in our country now is making enemies out of people who think differently or act differently or live differently than you. Don't have to, they're not necessarily your enemy, but if they think differently, then they become your enemy. But what's interesting, as uh, much as we are divisive in our country right now, in our culture, maybe even in, th- in the world, is that politicians winning and having their way seems to increase the divide more, right? It's because what they are peddling is a narrative that is based on fear. So I want to give you a spoiler alert of how the next several weeks are going to go, okay? You're going to hear some ads on television, on the radio. You're going to read them on Facebook. And regardless of if the person is a Republican or a Democrat or an Independent, here's what they are going to say. They're going to say, I will give to you things that you want, My opponent will take from you things that you want to keep. And you should be afraid if I don't win. That is the long and short of what they are all going to say. And it works. People love, for some reason, to buy in to fear. The problem, though, is that this fear does not lead us to where we desire to go. And it certainly does not lead us to where God desires for us to be. And so, because we lack the imagination and the trust in God, because we want to make and keep for ourselves... Instead of receiving God's blessing as God desires to give it to us, we end up trying to manipulate God into making God into who we desire for God to be because at least that way we can have it now and we can have it as fast as possible and we can reproduce it as much as possible. But when we do this, we end up compromising God's ways in order to circumvent God's slow work. God is never in a hurry. It's important for us to realize this, that God does not operate in urgency. God's operation is long and slow. I have a friend uh, who I began, I became friends with him because we worked together. 
And when I first met him, I really struggled with him because he moved so, so slow. He spoke slow. He walked slow. He thought slow. I mean, he was just the slowest moving person I have ever met. And as a part of the work that we were doing, we traveled together a few times. And when I get in the car, I am destination oriented, right? I am going to get there as fast as I can, making as little stops as I can. It is full go until we get there, right? My friend is the exact opposite of that. To him, the most important thing about a trip, about being in the car, is about that time when you're in the car, right? It's not about the destination. It's about in, being in the car, being on the trip. We would stop. He was driving. If I was driving, it would have been a different story. But we would stop and go into a gas station and... He would like look at everything and like shop around and like be so slow. We would go to get something to eat and he wouldn't want to get back in the car and eat it on the road. He would want to stop and eat it there at the restaurant. I'm like, man, we have places to go. We have got to get on the road. And it drove me crazy to the point where I didn't know if I could be friends with him. But eventually, what I started to realize is that in him being slow, which I don't know if he did this intentionally, but the byproduct of his slowness was that he could be present to a lot more than in my urgency I was unable to pay attention to. How many times in our lives do we just rush through something or hurry up in order to get to the end? And what we sacrifice with that is being present on the journey. One of the first stories in the Bible is a story of Abraham and Sarah. They had different names before this, but in order to not be confusing, we'll call them Abraham and Sarah. And Uh, Abraham is a very important person in the Jewish faith. He is a patriarch of the Jewish faith, right? If you uh, grew up in the church, maybe you sang the song Father Abraham. Uh, If you've read the scriptures, you've seen in several places where it refers to God as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Isaac and Jacob were Abraham's descendants. Abraham was promised by God that he was going to have many descendants. And the way that the scripture tells us this is that his descendants, Abraham's descendants, were going to be as numerous as the stars. That's a lot of descendants. Now the problem is that Abraham, when he was told this, was an old man, past the normal age of childbearing. We don't really have a lot of information on this, but apparently he and his wife Sarah had trouble having children. So God came to him and said, Abraham, you are going to be the father of this nation, my people. Your descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars. And the Bible actually says that Abraham laughed, right? Like a chuckle, like, yeah, right, right? 
He laughed because he was, was really intrigued by this promise, but also there was the reality that he was an old man, right? And that his wife was an older lady, and she was past her childbearing years. And you can imagine that someone in this place, in this struggle, when they hear this promise, sure, they would be intrigued, but also very hesitant, and a lot of times in that sort of awkward situation, what do we do? We kind of laugh it off or shrug it off, right? That's what happens with Abraham. Well, he is elated by this promise. He trusts that God is going to be faithful to his promise. Nine months passes. Ten months pass. Twelve. Fifteen. Eighteen. However many months pass. And there's still no child. And so Abraham and Sarah devise this plan that Abraham is going to have this child with one of their servant girls. And this might seem like a good plan because uh, Sarah is unable to have children and maybe this is what God was asking them to do. But when the servant girl found out that they were planning on keeping this children for themselves and that she was just sort of the carrier of the child. It began, it fractured the relationship, right? They were no longer living in harmony with this lady. And the story ends up being that God is able to bless both uh, Ishmael, his son, and then later on his son Isaac that comes. But God had to clean up the mess in between time. Because a lot of times when we just, when we go and take things upon ourselves, we end up creating more problems than we solve. The scripture that Jeremy read earlier, Jesus says this, Do not be afraid, little flock. I oftentimes, when I think about this story of Abraham, I think that it was his fear that led him to take matters into his own hands. And how many times do we take things into our own hands because of our fears? But Jesus says, do not be afraid. For your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. So sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourself that will not wear out a treasure in heaven that will never fail where no thief comes near or no moth destroys. Jesus tenderly, with great compassion and love, says, do not be afraid. Could you imagine a trust in Jesus so much so that you had no fear? Now, if you were to ask me, uh, and, and if I was ever afraid, if I was going to be fully honest with you, I would say, Yes. I would want to say no. I was going to be fully honest with you. I would say, yeah, even as a person who doesn't want to be afraid, 
fear often is introduced into my life. And to be honest, like Abraham being promised a child, when I read this scripture where Jesus says, do not be afraid, I kind of go through this thought pattern of, is this really true? Is it possible that I could really live unafraid? You know, one of the ways for us to live out the kingdom of God in a visible and tangible way for the world around us is for us to not be afraid. There's so much fear out there. And if the church could be filled with people who were unafraid, people would notice. Jesus says, you don't have to be afraid. Why? Because your Father is pleased to give you the kingdom. And Jesus knows that if you have a taste of this kingdom, if you have a taste of living in this kingdom, you will be so convinced by this love and joy and peace and grace that will fill your life that whatever you sought fulfillment in previously is rendered worthless. You might as well sell it all because it is nothing compared to the love of God. And God gives us this all for just a few payments. No, right? God gives it to us freely. He gives it to us because it is his pleasure. There is no pitch man. There is no installments here that we have to pay. God gives it to us freely. But so many times we can get wrapped up in the constructing and the making for ourselves. We can be consumed by the what ifs or the if onlys. We can become people who have to always be in charge and always have our way. But Jesus says when these things rule our lives, our treasure is in the wrong place. Every single person who has tried to be in control, every single person who has always had their way, every single person who has sought to be in charge at every moment of their life has either experienced decay or will one day, right? Experience that which can be destroyed. But those who trust in God and in the kingdom of God will receive a treasure that no thief can steal, that rust can't destroy, that moths are unable to consume. So here's what God does. God moves into this self-centered kingdom of brokenness that we live into and moves us into, from there into the kingdom of his son to where we become children freely and fully blessed with the full treasures of heaven that will be 
a part of us forever. And that all of this happens at God's pleasure. So today, as we listen and seek to trust in these words that Jesus says to us, to not be afraid that God wants to freely give us the kingdom. May we be people who take Jesus at his word and invite him by the power of the Holy Spirit to form this way in our lives. Would you pray with me this morning as Jesus instructed us? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.